to Crossing Over, a conversation where we look and listen with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of sacred scripture and in our own lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. are in school now. Holla. Yay. I love summer, but there's just something about having rhythm and schedule with your day. Yeah. That really helps. It's so. nice. It's nice when it comes and it's nice when it goes. Right. So. I had an <clears throat> interesting mo- <clears throat> moment this morning. We were getting ready to leave, uh, getting ready to um, Kate take me to the bus stop. And um, so one of our dogs, Buddy, is attached has an attachment to her and he's a sweet sweet dog um anyways so like open the door to go out and like she went out the door first and he just ran with and like what are we doing what are we gonna be outside and it's like you can't and the first thing i thought was oh i should we should rename buddy ruth oh, it was just right. this moment where i was like oh it's where you go i will go super super loyal super connected and it was almost instinctual like it's, it would be impossible for you to leave yeah, without me going with you. And I don't know. I was like, man, that feels an awful lot like what what's happened here at Ruth. And maybe I just dove in way too fast to what we're talking about. But there it is. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Yeah. Buddy. Dog. Yeah. Chesed. Loyal love. Dogs. Yeah. I mean. Dogs embody Chesed. <laughs> Wait, what? Dogs embody Hesed. Yes. Like they're just... <laughs> right? Yeah. There's just this way they love, love, love. Like when you leave, they're sad. And when you return, it's like, right. I forgive you and you're back. Yes. Yeah. And they're genuinely excited every time you come home. Yeah. Our, our dog, um, you know, they, they can sense the time by the smell that people leave. And so um, he hasn't started doing it yet, but... My daughter's the first one who comes home, and I noticed this pattern last year that around the same time every day, he would want to go outside. And so I'm like, it's like the same time. Every day he wants to go outside. And then I realized he goes out and sits on our back porch because he can see the bus come, and then he, he like, watches. And as soon as my daughter comes around the corner into our cul-de-sac, he tear, takes off. He just tears around the porch mm. and around the front of the house. And then he sits at the front. Um, he's, we've got a like invisible fence, so he can't like cross a line, but he sits in the front yard and his little tail and butt are just like going a mile a minute. <laughs> and he's just waiting and he's wiggling and he's just like shivering in anticipation, just waiting for her to come up the thing. And then he like flips out and like Oh. He starts jumping up and down when she gets into the driveway, and then he runs to her and gets petted. And it's just like, it's so cute, and it's so funny that he, like, within a few weeks of school starting, he'll be like, "Okay, we're back in this rhythm. And I know that I can expect her to be home." And mm-hmm. my son doesn't come home as with as regular hours, and so he doesn't he doesn't always do the same thing. But if he is outside when my son comes home, he gets the same reaction. So, but. Mm-hmm. It's like the kids are back. Like everyone's home, everyone's safe. So, so what we're saying here? Tell me, if, yeah. <laughs> right? So the so the <laughs> Franciscans like, talk about how like creation is the first Bible, the first thing that reveals God. Mm. Of course, Scripture says that about creation too, right? Psalm nineteen and some other spots. Um, uh, Roman. Anyways, um, <clears throat> are we saying that one should? take some time with a dog mm. to um, to meditate on the chesed of God, yeah. the, the, the faithful love that's always um, yeah, always there for you. Yeah. yeah. So that's the end of the episode. Right. Get a dog. Get a dog. Borrow one. Um, you know, get, uh, if, by the way, if you get a dog, get a lint brush. Unless <laughs> yeah, you get one a, of those. Yeah. Hypoallergenic. The poodle something. Doodles. The golden doodle. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, we have a lot of dog hair in our house, but we only have one dog. You have two, so you've got an excessive amount of hair, I'm sure. We, I made a bad joke yesterday. We were talking about how to get rid of the dog hair, and I was like, well, we could get rid of the dogs. 
And then I was like, sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean it. <laughs> Bad joke. Sorry. Bad joke. I didn't mean it. Yeah. Okay, where are we at in the text? Yeah. Well, I think we left off last week with Naomi and Ruth walking into Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. So they're home. So we're doing Ruth for another five weeks or so. Yep. And we started at Ruth 1 and we explored. And we're still in, we're still in, in Ruth chapter one. 1. We explored that how um, Naomi's family, her husband and two sons, made a move into Moab when, mm-hmm. when famine comes to the house of bread to yep. Bethlehem. Yep. And then sort of how tragedy seems to make its home with Naomi's family where her husband dies and then her sons die, both of them. Sickness and wasting, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Or destruction. Destruction. Yep. And they both die child, childless. Mm-hmm. And so Naomi, when she hears that there is, again, bread or food in Bethlehem, she decides to go back and engages with her daughter-in-laws and tells them, listen, go return home. Return to the house of your mother because um, I, I there's no future for you with me. Mm-hmm. And after a few rounds of negotiation, Orpah leaves, but Ruth continues with her with, with the line we were just talking about, yeah. right? Like, where you go, I will go. Um, your people will be my people. God will be my God. And so they're making their way back to yeah. Bethlehem. That's where we're that's where we're dropping in. Yep, that's where we're dropping in. <clears throat> so, and I don't know, maybe I think we'll get to chapter two today. I mean, here we'll we see. go. Wish us luck. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, so I thought I'd read um, just starting in verse 19. So, and the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened as they came to Bethlehem that the whole town was astir over them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For Shaddai has dealt great bitterness to me. I went out full and empty did the Lord bring me back. Why should you call me Naomi when the Lord has borne witness against me and Shaddai has done me harm? And Naomi came back and her daughter-in-law with her who was coming back from the plains of Moab and they had come to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a kinsman. I'm just kidding. We're just, we just we got to chapter two. Oh yeah, we That's did. That's all. We okay. did it. We crossed yeah, we, the line. Finished. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> so as it happened, as they came to Bethlehem, that the whole town was astir over them and the women said to them, is, or said, is this Naomi? Uh, I looked at um, astir and it just means to ag- be agitated greatly. Hmm. Um, which just gave me the picture that this is a major occurrence. Like, I don't, Bethlehem's not like Minneapolis or something. I mean, it's a small town. Everything's small towns back then. Um, but it still it caused like a major disturbance in, uh, in the town because everyone's like, what's going on? I think, you think 10 years in this day and age, if someone's been gone 10 years, you ain't never seen them again. Well, right, and and to be gone then is different than to be gone now. Right. I mean, immediately. I was just thinking about that today. How, how nobody's ever gone. Right. Even after they're gone, right? Like all these social media sites have settings and triggers for what happens when you die. Right. So to be gone ten years now means that maybe you've kept up with somebody on a, you know what's going on, but they have no idea. Right. The, the people in Bethlehem have no idea what's happened right. with Naomi and her family. Right. They don't know if she stayed in Moab, if she's in Egypt, if she's dead, if she's... There's no check-ins on right. social media. Right. Um, but I, the other piece that I found was interesting is that um, all the verbs in this sentence have feminine endings, which is extraordinarily rare um, for in the plural uh, because anytime it's um, a gendered language. So kind of like if you're familiar with Spanish or whatnot, if there's even one man present, then it converts to the male plural form. So you, in, unless you're talking about a singular woman, mm-hmm. it's very rare to find a female, a female plural or a female plural verb ending, but both a stir and the speaking are in a feminine form for a group of people. So it's actually the whole town that's astir. It's just the women of the town that are astir. Hmm. Which I just found interesting. And um, mostly because I think it it points to this book being so female-driven, which is so rare. 
um, that it really stands out. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, uh, that that makes <clears throat> it seems um, no. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So then Naomi's statement. And Do not call me. Naomi. Can this be Naomi? Do not call me Naomi. Right. Call me Mara. Yeah. Don't call me delightful and pleasant. Call me bitter. I can't decide how to how to hear this, how to read this, and what I'm. Well, my impulse is now is different than it has been in the past, which is right. Usually. Well, what I have for a long time is looked at verse 21. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And I've gone false, false, false. She's not actually seeing her moment because she she did go away f- full. And she is coming back without those things. But she's all, she is coming back with someone. So I'm imagining like Ruth standing there with her listening to her say this. And Ruth, mm-hmm. Ruth thinking, what about me? <laughs> but, you know... I think today I read this and I think I have a little more, um, I have more compassion for Naomi, which I think means I have more compassion for myself and I have more Mm -hmm. compassion for others because I hear her speaking emotional truth that while technically, yes, she's coming back with something and something that's going to turn out to be a wonderful gift, she doesn't feel like it. Right. And she's being confronted with these people that knew her in one way and they're like Naomi and she's like I'm not that person yeah I um I was actually thinking both it's true and untrue that she went out full and came back empty because like she went out full she had she had a husband she had two children she had a future she had a hope but she also wasn't full when she left because they were they left because of a famine like mm. they left because they weren't full they left because they were starving and empty. So they actually left because they were empty in one way, but she was full in a different way. And when she's returning, she's empty in the way that she was full when she left, but she's stepping into a fullness that she didn't have before. So both of those things, I think, can be simultaneously true, and it's how we choose to see and perceive and live in the moment that dictates whether we're Naomi or we're Mara. Hmm. I'm I'm thinking now about like the um how it's how not symmetrical she is here. Mm-hmm. Like the asymmetry of uh of how we how we view where things come from. Um the fullness, she doesn't say thank the lord I'm f- I was full when I you know, thank thank the Lord I was full when I left, and it's then it's the Lord's fault that now I'm empty, right? Mm-hmm. She just she's not think it. It's like um, where we forget God's presence. We forget about God's presence in our life, or we can forget about God's presence, or we can be more prone to forget when things are going well, right? When when things are going well, we don't we, we don't. I mean, maybe we do. I don't know. It's it seems less common or requiring more work and discipline or more intentional attentiveness to wake up when life's going well and go thank you God for the good things that are going, but when things are not going well, we're all it it seems like the first stop is you know thanks a lot God mm-hmm. you're bringing and there's this way in which we want to take credit for the good in our life and we want to um, we want to make somebody else responsible for the difficult or the hard in our life. Sure. And I, yeah, I don't know. I also think there's, there's this moment though that this is the first place that we see Naomi's grief come to the surface. And I think she's naming what feels true. Like you mentioned this earlier, that what was emotionally true for her, but she's not actually living as a bitter person. Like we don't, we don't see her actions don't seem bitter. And I struggle to believe that she's living as a bitter person because bitter people are really difficult to be around and I if she was just so bitter I don't see Ruth staying Hmm. so it tells me that something in Naomi's character probably isn't she's not actually full of bitterness but she's naming something that that is true in one way 
It's interesting because I, I would see too though her bitterness as a foil or sort of a a way of exemplifying Ruth's chesed for sure. her, which is even though like even though Naomi misses her, Mara misses her. Maybe Naomi sees Ruth, but Mara misses Ruth. Maybe mm-hmm. there's two people living in Naomi right now. Yeah. But it's it's that Ruth is. I mean, the exemplar of the chesed, of, of, the, of the compassion of the Lord, that she's with her. Yeah. That she stays with her. Hmm. I, also, I, um, I also think, so there's power in naming things. And there's, things can, uh, trying to say this well, things can hold a power over us more when we don't name them than when we do name them. Oh, totally. Um, when... When a person is really bitter because of what has happened in their life and they don't see that they're bitter because of what happened in their life, they can do a lot of damage. And um, it reminds me of that whole, don't complain about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own. Um, If you know you have a log in your eye, you're careful about turning your head. You're more aware Mm. Um, if you don't know that you have a log in your eye, you're just wiping everything out around you every time you turn your head. Right. So, um, even just her, like we gain power over the thing when we can name it. Mm. So there's a part of me that wonders like by Naomi naming the bitterness that, that she is feeling and that she's struggling with is giving her power over the bitterness Right. So that it doesn't actually take hold and it doesn't define her. She's she continues to be named as Naomi for the rest of this book. Her name does not actually flip mm. to Mara. So she's naming something that feels true about her in this moment, but she doesn't live that out mm. in the rest of the story. Her name doesn't flip to be Mara. It continues to be written as Naomi. Which means she's living as delightful and pleasant, mm. Naomi, not, not bitterness. If we wait until we name where we are, until we're naming it, like naming, uh, naming it wrong, or only naming it—that's um, not the right way to say it either. Um, if we wait until we're perfect, or until we've processed the thing before we name it, before we begin to talk about who we are and where we are. We don't actually heal up. We don't actually work the things out. So that, so Naomi speaking sort of this, this statement of how she feels, but that isn't technically true of her life. Uh, Naomi says, I went away full. I came back empty. The Lord has brought me back empty, right? Like true and not true at the same time. But if you wait to speak about yourself until you can speak it accurately you won't maybe process the pain i don't know does that make sense like yeah i also again i'm just drawn to this i went away full the lord brought me back empty like there's this where where and what who is in control or who is um responsible it's quite interesting to me how she sees it or how she talks about it because i went away full sounds like on your own like of her own accord, like they decided to go. The Lord didn't send them. She didn't say the Lord sent us away full. Yeah. She says, I went away full. Um, and then the Lord has brought us back, but not like Psalm 126 brought us back. Instead of, right, he, he brings us back, not with with our mouths full of laughter, but but empty. But those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Yeah. Which... Is exactly Naomi's story, right? Right. Do we want to say more about bitterness? Well, I mean, I think the thing to... The the quick callback here would be to go to Exodus 14 or 16. What is that? The it's, Waters of Marah? It's uh, 15. Exodus 15. You know, one of the strange things here where they where the bitter water is made sweet, there's a, what is it, 23, 15, 23. When they came to Marah, when they came to bitterness, they could not drink the bitterness. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, and the it there 
is right. It's uncertain whether it's saying the water was bitter or the people were yeah. bitter. Yeah. And so we just immediately drop into this question of where does bitterness stem from or where does it reside or where does it need to be addressed? Right. Is it outside of us or is it inside of us? And of course, the, the answer to the question is, yep. But there is a way of um, bitter people make things around them bitter. I think this is where I spoke about how it's difficult to be around a bitter person because sure. uh, they bring bitterness to everything they touch. So if the people were bitter, the water becomes bitter. Mm. Um, I mean, it's the question of what came first? Yeah. The people or the water? What was bitter first? Hmm. I actually, I had thought about this, um, the connection of these stories, because at this moment in Exodus, the Israelites are leaving Egypt, and it's a long walk. You have a lot of time to think when you're just walking in the wilderness and a long train of people. And Naomi and Ruth have had a long time to think as they've been walking through their own wilderness to return to Bethlehem. Um, and when you're, when you've left a land of plenty, even if you're a slave, but you're provided for and there's food and water and you have a home and things like that, it can be easy on that long journey into the wilderness to question if you've made the right choice. Yeah. And, um, perhaps Naomi is questioning as well. Did she make the right choice in leaving Moab? Maybe she could have returned with Ruth to Ruth's family and found comfort there, settled there. Maybe this was a mistake to return home. Um, there's just a lot of time to think. Hmm. And a lot of time for bitterness to creep in and the unfairness of life. And um, the more time you sit and dwell on the way things that have gone wrong in your life, the more easily bitterness can creep in. Right. I think last time you were going to talk about should I? I know. Okay. Yeah. I do want to talk about should I? All right. Um. Okay. I mean, first, I don't know. It's not L should I here. It's just should I. But whenever I hear should I. My brain wants to sing the Amy Grant song in my head, which probably dates me. Listen, why don't you go ahead? <clears throat> oh, no, I'm not going to sing it. Um, <laughs> Daniel might. <laughs> I was thinking about like singing it in like a super falsetto and being like, thank you, I'm Sarah. <laughs> thank you for not doing that. Um, and all I want to do now is, is just do that. Is do it. That's yeah. fine. But we will. Look at me. We will resist the temptation to sing El Shaddai. Um, um, but also in the Amy Grant song and throughout scripture, um, so most English translations, will you won't see the word Shaddai here. You'll probably see the Almighty um, because we translate El Shaddai as God Almighty. But there's another way to do this. Um, it's not clear. Um, one of the things with Hebrew is that when you combine words, trying to figure out what the root is, sometimes there are multiple options. And so you're choosing, based on context around you, what the best uh, root option is. And one option is um, shod, which is strength or mightiness or greatness. Uh, but there's another way to do this. And um, this one's less comfortable for our Western minds. <laughs> I'll just lay that out there. So if this makes you like, mm, I don't know if I like this, sorry. Um, but most of the Jewish sages would agree with this. And um, it's a pretty popular way of defining it. So um, according to Jewish sages, the word is better broken down in a twofold way. So first, the word shah um, means who and die means enough. It's, there's a song they sing at Passover called Dayenu. Um where it talks about God being enough at every step of the way. Um, so it's like who is sufficient or who is enough for us. Um, and so it's connected to this idea of fruitfulness mm. and nurturing. 
And from that combination of words, we get the Hebrew word for breast, as in like breastfeeding child, because the the breast is the nurturing thing in um, the natural world mm-hmm. for any mammal. Right. Um, that's the life giving nurturing part of of creation. And uh, five of the first six times Shaddai is used in the Bible, um, including the first three times that it's specifically is El Shaddai, so God Shaddai. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, connected to fertility and fruitfulness. Um, and the, um, we can read. I have, I have those pulled up. So there's the first is uh, Genesis 28, 3. Um, it says, Isaac blessing Jacob. Mm. May God, may God Shaddai, may El Shaddai bless you. May he make you bear fruit and make you many so that you become a host of peoples. Um, the second one is Genesis thirty five eleven, and this is God blessing Jacob, so mm. still Jacob. And God said further to him, I am God Shaddai, bear fruit and be many. Nation, yes, host of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come out from your loins. Mm. And then this is, the, this is my favorite one. So the third one is uh, Genesis 49, uh, 25. And 26, I'm going to read both. By your father's, uh, so this is Jacob now blessing Joseph. Um, may your father's God, may he help you and Shaddai, may he give you blessing. Blessings of the heavens from, abo- from above, blessings of the ocean crouching below, blessing of breast and womb. May the blessings of your father transcend. So um, there is ample evidence to believe that Shaddai, at least in the patriarchs and in the Torah, had to do with um, with nourishing, the nourishing breast of God. So it's a very feminine image of God, which I understand for a lot of Westerners is really uncomfortable. But remember, we both male and female were created in the image of God. So that means that God contains both what we view as feminine and masculine characteristics. Um, So, of course, God would be the nurturing. Um, So one way of defining the El Shaddai is the the breasted one. (laughs) It's the way some scholars have chosen to, and I I like it. It makes perfect sense. It makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, it's very... um, it's very Eucharist, very communion language, mm. right? We have Jesus who's, who, you know, um, unless you eat my my body, you eat my flesh, you have no part in me, um, which is strange, strange language for us. But there's this this intimacy, this something else, this provision that comes from God, God's self to us. I... I I don't know if it's, I don't know what's changed in me, but it no longer frightens me in the slightest to, to like, there was a time in my life when, you know, God was God, God, the father, but I mean, all of our words, all of our descriptors of God, just scratch at the infinite scratch Mm -hmm. at the eternal of who God is and who teaches a mother to love. I mean, it's it's the love of of God that teaches that teaches that yeah right it's not learning it from somewhere else it's not coming from somewhere else and since we're talking about body parts right I mean God has neither a penis nor a vagina um, God does God does not have breasts yeah because God is beyond those things right but when it comes for us to try to understand who God is, we have to use these tangible things that lie before right. us in order to understand and the nurturing of um, like the mother nurturing in an infant right. um, from her own body, which, by the way, brought the child forth, which came forth from, of course, this is what this means, right? Of course, that's what it means. Right. And I love 
how um, it redefines for me what mighty means, right? Like, so like I think of all my, like if I close my eyes and I think about, you know, all, the almighty. Okay, right. Maybe I should back up. You said this earlier, but just to rebring it, El Shaddai usually translated as the almighty the or almighty, almighty right? Yep. And I think when when I think Almighty, I don't know what you come what image what images you con, conjure up, but I con, I conjure up. I think of conquering, like the Almighty, the one that can squish everybody, right? Um, which is very reasonable um, that that's what it is. But also, the Almighty could be the one upon which does not rely on any other for their provision for their sustenance. They're so. Their strength is, their might is that they have all of the life, that, that like life is in them and they are life and they need nothing from yep. any other. Yep. And then they share that with us. Right. So I just think the way the words play with each other here and we follow it back down to some of the, the, the root ideas of what's underneath um, this. It's like, yeah. Well, and especially when you consider the context of... The, you know, the first three times it's used that I, um, that I just read. So up until this point in scripture, that seems to line up. It does, there, there's lots of evidence that possibly later mm -hmm. that, um, in the prophets when like Isaiah and I think, uh, Job and is it Joel that also uses it. I can't remember, um, that, that possibly the name had morphed into that other root. And that there's evidence that they might be thinking more of that conquering type thing when they use the word. But sure. man, for sure in Genesis, that's not the image that you're getting with Shaddai. Mm. Um, and it's it should be no surprise that in this book that's heavily featuring women and right. taking on the feminine view that she would use a feminine word for God. There are other words she could um, have used. There, there are, are other, other words, words the text could and have used. And she does. She uses uh, yeah. the Yudhe-Vuvhe twice, um, and she uses Shaddai twice mm. um, in naming God. So the, the way she is seeing God primarily in this moment is as a nurturing God having to do with for her fertility, and that is what has come back empty is the fertility piece for her. Um, and so that would make perfect sense that that's why she would choose Shaddai. Mm -hmm. If Shaddai is connected with fertility and fruitfulness, um, that is what is lacking for her in this moment, is that feeling of fruitfulness. Mm. And, and so that's the word, the name of God that she chooses. So if... Here. Okay, yeah. so if we play with... Um, the, if we're playing with the Hebrew and we're going, Shaddai is mm -hmm. more than almighty, but, but breasts, right? And then she says, Shaddai has brought misfortune upon me. Um, I, my mind immediately goes to Psalm 131, which I find to be one of the most fascinating things because it's talking about weaning. Yeah. And the, exper the experience of the child being weaned is an experience of suffering and misfortune. Mm. I mean, right? Like, I don't know that I've ever encountered any story of a child who's like, you know, like, oh, they were so happy um, <laughs> when it was time for them to be done uh, breastfeeding. They're always unhappy about it. But there's this way upon which if you don't wean... You never move on to the other really good right. things of life. Right. It's real hard to go to school. It's real difficult to go to school. <laughs> um, and so I'm just thinking, right, like, so let me read this. Oh, God, my my spirit is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not put my striving in things that are too great or too remote for me. For I have put my soul at peace and soothed it like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child was my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Yeah. So I love that she's she's being moved from an old way of life to a new way of life here. Yeah. That her suffering, that the hardship thing she's going through is this misfortune is also having some sort of interaction with who she is and how she is in this world 
and it goes to what happens when our provision changes. Yeah, move on. Okay. So then uh, the next verse. And Naomi came back, which is the word shuv. So if you don't, if I refer to last week's episode, we talked quite a bit about shuv. It's the Hebrew word for turning back or returning. So Naomi came back or shuved, and her daughter-in-law with her, who was coming back, also shuving, uh, from the plains of Moab. So she's um, shuv or turning would maybe be a better word here because Naomi's not, or Ruth isn't coming back. She's never been here before, mm. but she is turning to come to this place. So, and they came to Bethlehem, which means the house of bread at the beginning of the barley harvest. Um, we're not going to like go into Shuv because we did that heavily last week. Um, but I think the fact that they're coming at the barley harvest is important. Yeah. Cause that puts us where? It puts us, it places us in time and space and sets the tone of the rest of the narrative because everything else is going to happen um, in the fields of the barley harvest. Right. Um, for the most part. But that's where the main thrust of the story is going to move towards. So um, it also tells us that the land is fertile, um, which I think is also further evidence for Shaddai, meaning the nourishment or. Mm. Um, the breasted one because it's connected to fertility and fruitfulness and we're seeing immediately following that that the land is being fruitful and multiplying here the um, the beginning of the barley harvest so those are the two ways that I feel like it really that little phrase at the beginning of the barley harvest yeah tells us two things right off the bat Uh, barley harvest also places us probably at Passover okay so it um, Passover or Shavuot. Yeah. So, it, but it places us, like you'd said, like within time and within space, but then you've got the, the sacred festival here of, of either leaving, right? The Pesach is the, 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 um, the, the leaving of Egypt. Yep. Um, they, they, they move out through the opening that God makes for them. Right. Or if you have Shavuot, it's the bringing of your first fruits. Right. When they enter the promised land. When you enter the land. Which Naomi and Ruth are doing. Which they're doing. Yep. And so they're, you know, um, I've been thinking about this as like a pilgrimage to, now they're not going to Jerusalem, um, but at this time, Jerusalem isn't a place you go. Right. Jerusalem doesn't exist. It's as, a city that belongs to the Israelites. Right, right. So as it is right now, they, you know, are making pilgrimage to the house of bread, um, potentially at the time of Passover or potentially at the time of um, of Shavuot or Tabern, right. not Tabernacles, uh, uh, weeks, 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 yeah. or or Pentecost. Mm-hmm. And so, right, like it's just when for, and I don't know, I don't have a fixed view on this. But scripture seems to build a lot of the same things upon a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. So um, Jaffa or Jaffa is where Jonas sets out to run away from God when God says, go to the Ninevites. Yep. Right. So in in Jonah, the the story is my love is bigger than you, the, bigger than you think. It's bigger than one people. Right. It's making good on the promises of Exodus 19 that you're a nation of priests it's making good on Genesis 12. You're going to be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. And Jonah doesn't like it because Jonah doesn't want God. I mean, that's how the, that's part of how Jonah ends. He's like, this is why I didn't want to go. I knew that you're you're gracious, right? I knew that I didn't want you to be good to these people. Right. I wanted them to die. <laughs> right. So you've got that happening in Jaffa, but then you also have this is um, this is where Peter receives the vision to go see Cornelius, who is a centurion. Who I he's not Jewish, and the centurions were not nice, um, you know. And he sees this vision, and God says, "Go, you know, get up, kill, and eat." And Peter says, "I've never done that. I've never eaten anything unclean." And I'm shorthanding it here, but God says, "Don't call anything I've made 
unclean. And so at Jaffa, we have two, and there's a couple other, you know, stories to pull in, but it's deeply concerned about the question of who's in, who's out, and how will we respond to that in our, with our lives? Are we going to be like Jonah and, and run? Are we going to be like Peter and, and go? Um, and so when we have Naomi and Ruth returning to the house of bread at the barley harvest at what's either Pesach, uh, Passover, or uh, or, or the, the the feast of weeks yep. or Pentecost, there's a thing here where I'm going. Oh, how does this? How is this stacking? Like, yep. what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a leaving? Are we talking about a bringing? And I don't have I don't have the answer. I just have the question that now I want to consider. Right. Like, what's happening here? Yeah. I want a quick note. The Feast of Weeks and Pentecost are the same thing. Yes. So it's just... That's oh, sorry. Pe- yeah. Yeah. Pentecost is just the Greek word for the Feast of Weeks. So, yeah. Seven weeks. Yep. Or 50 days. Uh, and yep. at least mine, I don't know if yours says it, but mine, uh, nobody knows if it's, pat, you know, uncertain what yep. feast this is. Yep. Um, and I feel like we should have like a little trumpet or maybe blow a shofar because we're entering into verse two or chapter <laughs> two <laughs> we like made those, it it's like those did you ever have those books when you were a kid that the cassettes and yeah, then yeah. you'd like turn the page with the chime yeah Ugh, did you have a favorite one uh not that i remember i loved the tale of the rare rabbit <gasps> oh yeah. yeah yep i i can't fall as- i have trouble falling asleep without music and i think it goes back to me falling asleep listening to those when I was... Isn't that great? That's so good. Um, all right. So, and Naomi had a kinsman through her husband, a man of worth from cl- the clan of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Um, so, we had the first... Um, since the death of the husband and sons, we now have a man entering the story yet again. Well, um, and like, Boaz is going to do some things here. Yeah. Uh, where up to this point, they've... The men have been passive. Yep. Apart from whatever role Elimelech has, presumably, and you know, right. Uh, and the 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 sons taking husbands, but well, other than that, they've just been really passive characters. Yeah. And we're from the get go, we're given more information about Boaz than we've been given about anyone else so far. Hmm. Any of the other men is a kinsman through her husband, which is um, pointing us to Leverite marriage, which um, is. We're going to skip that right now because we're going to come back to that later um, when it's a little more relevant. Um, but so it, Leverite marriage is not explicitly mentioned here, but it is implied with the idea of kinsman um, through her husband, which tells us that, you know, there's a relation here. But then we're told he's a man of worth from the clan of Elimelech, which we already we already talked about Elimelech um, in week one. Um and his name was Boaz. Hmm. So, uh, Boaz's name um, is a little bit tricky to um, to translate because there's not it's not used anywhere else um, in scripture. It I've seen some sources say it's um, unknown. Some say swiftness. Hmm. Um, but I found um, it can also be broken down as in strength. So as means strength, and the, when you have a the B sound in front of something, it means in or on something. Yep. So um, in strength, and um, I guess we'll have to wait and judge for ourselves if we think it's more like, if is Boaz swift or is he in strength? Well, so. and, and then what is it? I mean, I already have my opinion, so mm-hmm. I'll withhold it. No, I won't. I think it's the strength thing. <laughs> but... But I think we're going to see a definition of strength that is contrary to what one might expect strength to be. Amen. So, yeah, I, I love it. I think that it's a lot of um, when you can read the, when you can read the scripture in this way and start to cue in on some of these things that lay just a little bit below the surface. They offer creative lenses yep. that are otherwise withheld that you might notice. You might go, man, Boaz is this quiet. Uh, I always think of Boaz as a little bit like the Proverbs 31 woman. You stole my thunder. <laughs> what? You were going to say that? Well. You can, listen, br- I, when you bring it up later, pretend I didn't say it. No, let's just talk about it now. Let's well, go there. Well, because we don't even, we haven't even seen him yet, but, but he's not going, 
No, I don't want to. I think we gotta wait. <laughs> well, no, we don't because the word's right here. So he he's called he's called a man of worth, which is Gibor Havel or Havel, um, which may, means valiant warrior. Um, and that Eshet Hael is Proverbs thirty one. Proverbs thirty one. It's the feminine version of that. So and Ruth gets called that later in this book. So if we can finish this in an extra week, we could actually do Proverbs thirty one. We could spend a day on that. Um, That'd be fun because I have. A lot of thoughts on that. I did one of my major papers in seminary on Proverbs 31, and I feel very strongly about it, not meaning what we all think it means. I think Ruth is actually Proverbs 31 lived out. Okay. Um, in a lot of ways. So I'll just I'll leave uh, that hanging. When you say Ruth, do you mean the book? I mean the whole book. Okay, so not just the person Ruth. Well, you already said it, Boaz. Okay, too. so Boaz. I think Boaz and Ruth both live this out. Okay. Because I don't think Proverbs 31 is for women. I think it's for everyone. Of course. I'll, I'll lay that out. Okay. Of course. And not everyone in the sense of how men can find a great wife. I think, okay, I'll just do it. Yep. Because <laughs> we're here. I, and we can maybe flesh this out in another episode at a later time. But Proverbs 31 is the picture of what wisdom looks like lived out. So, um, because wisdom throughout Proverbs is referred to as a woman. So, how, and the question of Proverbs is how do you get wisdom? How do you get understanding? And Proverbs 31 shows us the picture of what that looks like for us to live it out, whether we are male male or female. Hmm. Give liquor to someone who is perishing, wine to one who is bitter inside. Naomi. Uh, yeah, there you go. Who can find a resourceful? Her value is far above rubies. Her husband's mind relies on her, and he lacks no spoil. She deals him good, not bad, all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with delight with the palms of her hands. She becomes like a trader ships when she brings her bread from far away. I love reading scripture next to other scripture because then you start to, right? She brings bread from far away. Now I feel like I'm dropping into this conversation about Ruth and Bethlehem and Naomi. She rises while it's still night and gives a bite to her household and an allocation to her girls. She schemes about a field and gets it. From the fruit of the palms of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She wraps her hips and vigor and firms up her arms. She checks that her trading is good. Her lamp doesn't go out at night. She puts out her hands to the spindle. Her palms take hold of the wheels. She opens her palm to the humble person, puts out her hands to the needy person. She isn't afraid for her household because of snow, because her entire household is dressed in crimson. She makes coverlets for herself. Her clothing is linen and purple. Her husband is acknowledged at the gateways. As he sits with the country's elders, she makes fabric and sells it and gives a sash to the merchant. Vigor and magnificence are her clothing. She can make fun of a future day. Oh, I like that. She opens her mouth with smartness. Committed instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the goings of her household. She doesn't eat the bread of laziness. Her children rise up and declare her blessed. Her husband praises her. Many women produce resources, but you surpass all of them. Grace is false. Beauty is hollow. But a woman who lives in the awe of Yahweh, she is to take pride. Give to her from the fruit of her hand. Her deeds should praise her at the gateways. So that's what we're talking about. Yep. So. And we're saying, listen, that's for everyone. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't do, I can't lay the whole argument out. So we're going to put a pin. But we can put a pin on that and we can do it another 31, time. 31. And then we'll come back to it. We could. We should. If we, if we could try to wrap up Ruth early and then maybe do that before we well, dive into the next thing we're planning to do. Or just a bonus extra. We could. So look for that in the future. The Proverbs 31 human podcast okay i've noticed this again we have in at the end of at the end of chapter one and 22 and then at the beginning uh here in verse two we have ruth continuing to be called the moabite Mm -hmm. oh i think that's really important why do you think that's important well and what do you have to say about it i want to hear your thought first well i just think it it creates the right context to understand everything that's happening. That she's mm-hmm. still an outs, she is as we're reading her still being labeled as an outsider. Whether we have affection for her or not, whether we think Naomi does, while we know what's going to happen, right? If you if you know the story of Ruth, you know that she's David's great great great. Mm-hmm. You know, 
grandmother. Right. So you can, we can accidentally read the future and miss out sometimes on some of the things here so that she's still being called Ruth the Moabite tells us that she is Ruth the outsider or Ruth the descendant of Lot's and Lot's daughters, literally like that whole thing, which means every act of chesed, every act of love from her is from a position of being seen as less as outside. Right. Which is, well, I don't know what that is for you, but to me... I see that as something special. Right. And then that means that Naomi and Boaz, as the community accepts them, accepts her as they are good to her, they show that they're leaving behind this poor way of seeing each other. Yeah. I think um, this this book is a book that tells us there's no outside of inside. There you go. But... At the moment, she's seen as an outsider. But, still. He, but here's the problem. She's not because she's married in. So there's the yeah. other thing it says is it's, it shows how hard it is for these things to be broken. Right. Because she married into a Hebrew family. Right. So she is, um, I mean, we, we, you know, we get the pedigree, the family pedigree. They're, um, the effort, they're, they're Ephratites. Yeah. They're, what tribe are they? Ephraim. Ephratite. Yeah. Right. Okay. Ephraim. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. So, no. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're Ephratites. They're Judah. Judah. Well. David. Ephratites from Bethlehem of Judah. Oh, okay, oh. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so why I think it, one of the reasons why I think they continue to refer to her as the Moabite right now is because of the gleaning. So, um, which is, so Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go pray to the field and glean from among the ears of grain after I find favor in his eyes. Where are you? uh, Verse two. Okay. So the idea of gleaning comes from the Torah and it's mentioned three times. Leviticus 19.10, 23.22 and Deuteronomy 24.20. I'm just going to read them real quick. So Leviticus 19.10 your, vineyard, your vineyards you were not to glean. To break off your vineyard you were not to gather. Rather, for the afflicted and for the sojourner you are to leave them. I am Yahweh your God. Uh, Leviticus tw- uh, twenty three twenty two. Now when you harvest the harvest of your land, you are not to finish off the edge of your field when you harvest it. The full gleaning of your harvest you are not to glean. For the afflicted and for the sojourner you are to leave them. I am Yahweh, your God. And then Deuteronomy 24, 20 through 21. When you knock off your olives, you are not to check the bows bows after you. For the sojourner, the orphan, and the widow it shall be. When you cut off the grapes in your vineyard, you are not to glean after you. For the sojourner, for the orphan, and for the widow it shall be. So why do we leave the edges of our field uncleaned? For the Ruths. Ruth the Moabites. For the... And the Naomi's. Yeah. For the foreigners. For the widows and the foreigners. And, mm. The people who've sojourned to your land. So mm. we see this direct moment where they are actually practicing what they were told to do in the Torah with the gleaning of the fields. I love what's behind this gleaning of the fields thing that it's an effort to take care of the poor, to take care of those without land without resources in a world where land and resources is everything mm. <laughs> like that's how you feed yourself is by farming and that if these things are being done the way that god lays them out within the promised land no one lacks no one starves no one is forgotten no one is left behind no one mm. it doesn't matter why you may not have your land or why you're poor it's just there for you to take care of you I mean, and she even says it, right? Somebody that may show me kindness. Yeah. Hmm. I'm thinking about that word go. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking about how much of the story moves forward because people go. Yeah. Because people say yes. Because they don't. And there's got to be a, there's, there's obviously like a fine line here, but. Be still and know that I am God. 
and put that next to go. And sometimes it seems as though we want to wait until. And we see Ruth here, right? She's not waiting. She's not waiting. Right. She's she's going. And she's going out to look for mercy. She's going out to look for kindness. And uh, I'm not saying we shouldn't wait. I'm not saying we shouldn't be still. There's a way of being still internally while still going and seeking out for for mercy. I mean, I'm just thinking about what would have happened if Ruth and Naomi would have just stayed in their house waiting for it to magically appear. Right. This is not what happens in this story. (laughs) Right. And it's not bad or wrong. And I just then think of all of the, all of the, all of the stories that have people being sent into their lives. Yeah. And I just love that. She says, I'm going to, I'd like to go. I'd like to go into the fields and glean and look for kindness. I'd like Mm -hmm. to go look for mercy. And Naomi says, yes. I was looking at different places where finding favor in, in eyes pops up and there's two different ways that it pops up there's um when people are looking to find favor in the eyes of other people um it seems like it's usually because their will their well-being is in the hands of the other person in some kind of way um which is the case for ruth here that her her and naomi's well-being is in the hands of those who would let them clean their fields that they'll be taken care of um as a a widow and a woman unmarried, they don't have anyone to take care of them. So they need to find favor in someone's eyes in order to be cared for in this society. Um, so that's for sure in mind what they're looking. But there's also, the text isn't completely clear whose eyes she's looking to find favor in. Because like Boaz has been mentioned, but Ruth and Naomi haven't had a conversation about Boaz and who he is. We've just been given this little foreshadowing that sure. Boaz is this guy. Um, Ruth isn't saying specifically, I'm going out to find favor in Boaz's eyes. She's just saying his, which could be anyone. It could be God. Can I find favor in God's eyes? Sure. Well, because even in verse three, right? As luck would have it, the piece of land belong, the piece right. of land belonging. It was, it was as luck would have it, as yeah, chance, would, chance have would have it. Yeah. Um, so it's, Right. So whose whose eyes is she finding favor in? Right. I mean, yes, Boaz. We knowing the rest of the story, we know that she does in fact find favor in Boaz's eyes. But is she also possibly finding favor in God's eyes? Okay. Something else just occurred mm-hmm. to me that hadn't yet. Right. There's all this question about Elimelech and what kind of person he is, and yep. is, is he, um, you know, is my God is my king or God is my king, <clears throat> and. Um, we don't ever hear about his land, do we? No. So he was landless? Probably not. But by leaving, they may have given up their land. Sure. This might actually be his land that yeah. Boaz, as a kinsman, has taken over. Yeah, or the other gentleman who will come in who has right. the sort of the first right of refusal. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's never occurred to me that where's his land? Yeah. Um, you would assume if he was well-to-do, he'd have land. Right. Well, and if this is like one of the rare mm-hmm. pictures we have of the people, or at least some of the people, actually following the rules of the Torah. Um, and we see right. at least, there might be more, but there's at least two ways that they're doing, that they're following this. Um, so if they're doing this, there's a way that... Elimelech's land should never really be lost Hmm. because it ought to revert to his children someday um, in whatever way that those children come forth. So simply by returning, the land should, if there's a son someplace, it should get returned. Hmm. The goodness goodness and the grace in here is just... But that she still has to go. Right. Yeah. Usually... um, so I mentioned that is she finding favor in God's eyes, even though it's not explicitly said, um, but elsewhere in scripture, when someone is said to have found favor in God's eyes, mm-hmm. buckle up. Yes. Like you're going to be asked to do like actions 
that seem crazy. Like Noah is the very first person finds favor in God's eyes and he's like, build a boat. <laughs> You're going to look like an insane person. Mary. Mary. I mean, that's right. Finds favor. Yep. Uh, well, actually, Joseph finds favor in Potiphar's eyes and he's given great power. Um, the people find favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. Um, Moses finds favor in God's eyes. Careful Just to name what a few. Wish for. Careful what you want, right? Yeah. We want to, yeah. But I think, like, knowing the future of Ruth's story, that's fitting that God would find favor in her eyes because she's a part, um, a big part of moving the story of God's people forward, mm. becoming the great grandmother of the future king. Like, without her, there's no David. Yep. All right. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end. For okay, so we'll pick up uh, next verse time, three. verse verse three. Well, I'm excited about verse four, but to be continued. Yeah.